series that we are starting is called Must Be Nice. Must be nice. You ever said that before? Some of you might have said it literally today, right? We, it is one of those cultural phrases that we say, we accept, we use. We don't oftentimes even think about what's coming out of our mouth when we say it. But we say must be nice and we direct it at celebrities. We direct it at people who have more than we have. We direct it at people who've got it going on. The, the family that's got, you know, the nice vacation must be nice. That you walk into the, the person's home and they've got the kitchen remodeling under your breath. <sighs> must be nice. Must be nice to have that kind of money. Or must be nice to have that kind of paved the way for you. Or, or to have that ability or to know how to do that must be Nice. The coworker who just has that relationship with the boss, and the doors just continue to open for their advancement. The other person who got the raise. Or maybe even a little bit more sensitive, right? The sibling that you see at Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you know they're going to ask you how you're doing. And you know how they've been doing because just, things just keep seem to be climbing up for them. But for you, it's the same old, same old. And you know you're going to have to tell them it's the same old, same old. But you don't really want to. Must be nice for them. Or maybe the child or the other sibling, right, who just seems to get all the attention from mom and from dad. We think it's not a thing, but in fact, it really is a thing. And what's actually happening in our hearts, right, when we say things like, must be nice. If you've ever seen a kid who thinks that they have become invisible, by taking, you know, the blanket and they just, you know, they throw it over their face like this. You know what I'm talking about? They, if they cover their eyes with the blanket, obviously no one can see them because they can't see you. So clearly there, there, there's no visibility here. And when we talk about must be nice, when we, when we use this, this phrase and phraseology here, in many ways, it's an attempt to cover up what's actually happening in our heart, and we think it's not visible. We think it's not actually seen or experienced by somebody else. But really what is at work in our hearts is a nasty little thing called jealousy. Call jealousy or envy, bitterness, resentment. These are the things that oftentimes are at work in our hearts. And we can be in a sermon series like this or come to a church and you're like, oh, okay, like jealousy. Okay, I, I could work on that. And we, we minimize it. And we think that it's not really that big a deal. But, but before we even get into its effects and its impact, understand this. Has any relationship really, honestly, 
Has any relationship benefited from you being jealous? No. Has any marriage benefited from resentment? Of course not. I'm asking the classic, like, Jesus question. You know, what'd you learn about today? Jesus, right? We know the right answer to say in this moment. We know that no relationship has benefited from this. We know that jealousy left unchecked resentment and bitterness, even in its little seed form, it grows and becomes toxic. And yet many times we leave it unchecked. We just kind of let it do what it needs to do because we think it's just not that big a deal. I got news for you. The scriptures would actually tell us otherwise. And the sake of your relationships, your relationships tell us otherwise as well. And today, we're going to talk about how to get free from jealousy at work in your heart. That is great. I'm so glad that you are all on the edge of your seat dying for the answers to be free from jealousy. But mark my words, you might be sitting here and you think that's just not my thing. I'm not, that's not an issue for me. And I'm here to tell you, it is an issue. It's an issue for every single human heart. It's not whether you are jealous. It's what to do when you, when you, when you are dealing with jealousy because it's going to come knocking at your door. So, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you lived the life that we could not live. You died the death that we deserve, and you rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death, also victorious over these kinds of things in our lives. And, Lord, we are inviting you to come and minister by the power of your word. Speak to us and bring a greater sense of freedom. Amen. Amen. Genesis 37. The scriptures, this is probably, arguably, the most famous story in the Bible regarding jealousy. This is it. And I'm going to read the text. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit for you. But this is the story of Joseph. It's even been made into a musical. Joseph in the technicolored dream coat. If, you, if you're familiar with it, if you've ever seen it, it doesn't really fall in the biblical account. If you're like, oh great, I, I know the story. No, actually you don't, right? But here we are in Genesis 37, the story of Joseph, a young man of 17. He's tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Already we've got some complex family dynamics here, Okay. Different moms, same roof, lots of people. He brought their father a bad report about them. Pause. If you've got little ones, right? At this, at this point in time, Joseph is the youngest. He's basically the tattletale in this moment. This is not a bad report, the scriptures tell us, if you have a commentary about them just not doing a very good job. This is actually more about them probably doing something while on the job that is of ill rapport. And Joseph is letting pops know, your other sons aren't living very good here. Just thought you should know. 
Now, Israel, that's the dad. Bible says that he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and, and when, he, he, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. You guys are going to love this. My paraphrase. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And if you skip on down to verse 11, Genesis 37, 11, it says that his brothers were jealous of him. Joseph's brothers were jealous. Now we can have a conversation, and we're going to in just a minute, about whether that was warranted. But let's just understand what's happening here. Because you've got, you've got 12 sons, okay? You've got the youngest son. Actually, at the time, Benjamin, I'm, we're not sure. I can't remember if Benjamin even has been born yet, so it might be 11. At the time, Joseph's the youngest. He's got brothers, probably sisters. And the Bible tells us that his dad... Un, like he didn't even try to hide it. He loves his youngest son more than all of his other sons. And what is this 17-year-old? This is absolutely a man who can do labor, by the way. Guess where he's not? He's not out in the field. He's not doing any work. He doesn't have to do that kind of work. He has been set aside Right? And, 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 and as the youngest in this moment, dad has absolutely favored him. And to make matters worse, Joseph is given by his dad a coat, a coat of many colors, an ornate robe. And this robe would have come all the way down to the middle of his palms and all the way down to his ankles. It would have been almost like an overcoat, so to speak. But it was the kind of robe, the kind of coat that someone of royalty would wear. Imagine like a pharaoh, right? And if you can, if you can imagine like the, the dress at the time. It wasn't like he just made him a Christmas sweater, okay? This is a, this is a robe that would have looked like that of royalty. And then Joseph has a dream. And he's 17, God bless he doesn't keep this dream to himself, and he probably would have been wise to, okay? But instead, he goes to his brothers, and he says, what's up, guys? I mean, you can just see him, you know, rolling up. He's got his robe on that his dad made for him. He's like, guys, I had this dream. You were all bound down to me. <laughs> can you believe it? Whew, what a day. Hope you're enjoying your work. I'm going to go back and have a little something to drink at the house while you're slaving away. Now, I can read this, and because I've got a little sarcasm, I can, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having some fun with the story. But let's, let's for real hit pause 
on this moment because Joseph's brothers, they do not handle this moment right and they do not handle it well. But we oftentimes forget that what they are dealing with in this moment is a broken heart over the fact that their father does not love them the way that he loves Joseph. He has favored this son above all others. And some of you know the feeling or at least the wondering in your heart of where you stand before mom or before dad. Some of you have wrestled and dealt with this your entire life, wondering where you stack in your own house with family, with relatives, And it has felt like you have clawed for affection and had to claw for attention while the other person, the sibling, or maybe not even somebody related, right? Somebody that's just, you know, been brought into the family seems to get all the attention and all the love and all the support. And you're just on the outside looking in. And I'm telling you, what is at work in this moment is the same. It's that of a broken heart. But it's in that brokenness that something is born. The seeds of jealousy. Jealousy is defined by being, it's an unhappy or angry feeling of wanting to have what somebody else has. Somebody has what you want. And so you feel jealous. I'm using jealousy and envy a bit interchangeably today. I know they're a little bit different. Jealousy more often pertains to relationships. Envy more often pertains to stuff. But the truth is we use them interchangeably in our culture. So I'm going to do that today. But jealousy is that feeling that you are unhappy. You are angry because there is something that somebody else has that you want. But there's another way to define it. And I love this. An emotion where a person experiences threat. Would you hear this? Because we don't often think of jealousy this way. But jealousy many times is born out of you feeling a measure of threat to a relationship or your position in life. Now, I was going to bring some people up on stage for this, but I'm just, just walk with me here. Let's, let's take a trip back to middle school, shall we? Can we do that? Your best friends with, with person A. We'll call this person Bobby, okay? This is your BFF. Bobby is, Bob, you guys talk about everything, right? You hang out, you laugh, you've got a great relationship. This is your go-to guy, your bro. It's the B of it's Bobby. And then Marquise rolls up, the new student at school. Marquise Nelson, this is my friend in, high, in middle school, okay? 
Marquise rolls in, and now all of a sudden, Bobby and Marquise also have a friendship. And you're standing here, right? And this used to be like your BFF, and you would talk about everything and hang out together and do recess together and do all life together, right? And now all of a sudden, this other person has come into the equation, and part of that attention is now diverted over here. And, and all of a sudden, you're left wondering where do I stand in this relationship? And, and, and Marquise feels like a threat to Bobby. And so now I am jealous of this person threatening this thing over here. And that's how jealousy works. I feel threatened. Now, let's take it one more step, because stuff, things, the kitchen remodel, the job, how does that, how is that a threat to you? Understand, many times with jealousy, let, let's walk through the emotional experience, because for so many of us, the only thing that makes your jealous heart feel a little bit better is when somebody else experiences setback. And you don't want to say that you rejoice in it. Oh, you would never say that. You'd never be like, yeah, awesome. But in your mind, there's something that happens or in your heart when somebody, they're going through a hard time and you had to go through a hard time. And so in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, whew. Boy, if everything, if every door had just been opened for them, that would have been a bit tough for me to swallow. But the fact that they were facing some hardship, I kind of feel a little bit good about that. <laughs> they didn't actually get the raise. Okay. We're kind of in the same income threshold now. I feel good about that. Everything is staying the same. Because jealousy, here's what happens when we are jealousy. We interpret other people's gains as our loss. We look and we think to ourselves, for somebody to grow, to get better, to have increase, it feels to me like I am losing in this situation. I feel threatened by your success. And so because I feel threatened and I feel like you have taken from me, now I am going to take back from you. Must be nice. And we have our little sarcastic quibs and our little words and our phrases. And all that's designed to do is to knock somebody down just one notch. I'm going to come at them and I'm going to take a little bit of their success. I'm going to rob from them a little bit of their hard work. I'm going to take because I feel like I've been taken from. I feel threatened and now I am on attack mode. Must be nice. And that's how it works. And we oftentimes don't think of it that way. And every time you now feel those words coming out of your mouth, you're going to think about this moment. <laughs> yeah. Because what you're really trying to do is take somebody down so you can feel better about where you're at in life. That's it. For many of us, it's a way of life that we're just used to. We've become so desensitized to it, we don't even notice it. 
I don't, like, it's almost on the daily that you have a moment where you have to decide to give in to this or fight it. But because we're so used to it, many times we don't even, we don't even diagnose it. We don't even feel it. It's Woody, jealous of Buzz, right? It's Commodus, jealous of Maximus. Right? It's the, it's the famous story. It's the Count of Monte Cristo. What, 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 were, what were their names? Uh, Fernand Mondego right? and Edmund Dantes. The whole movie, the whole book is rooted in jealousy that just is fanned into flame. Many times the police show up on the scene of a crime because somebody flew into a jealous rage. It's just normal. That's what we do. I'll illustrate it one other way. Two shopkeepers. They got shops on either side of the street. They're in competition with each other, dealing with some jealousy of the other person's business. And they're paying attention to everybody's customers that go in. Right? They're, they're tracking numbers. They're evaluating and secretly rejoicing in their own success and also secretly rejoicing when, when it looks like the, you know, the competition's having a bad day. And an angel shows up to one of the shopkeepers in the middle of the night and says, I'm going to give you anything your heart desires. But when I do, know this. I'm going to give the person across the street, twice what I give you. So what does your heart desire? Is it wealth? I'll make you wealthier than you can possibly imagine. But understand, the guy across the street will be twice as wealthy as you. Long life, no problem. But just remember, the person across the street is going to live twice as long as you. So, sir, what can I do for you today? He said, anything? He said, make me blind in one eye. I'll have one left, but the guy across the street, both eyes will be blind. Yes. His loss feels like my gain. See, we look at other people's gain as our loss, but it is their loss that also feels like we're finally moving up in this world. And that is what jealousy does. In our story, verse 18, Joseph, uh, in this moment, it says his brothers, they see Joseph walking in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Their brother... Can you fathom your heart being in such a place that the best option moving forward is that you would kill your brother? And some of you know what this is like. You've seen this or experienced this in your own family. I have experienced death and crime and murder, yes, in my family, not my immediate house, right, but in extended family. We've seen, right, what happens when things go unchecked. 
And in their heart of hearts, they're ready to kill their brother. And the story, if you recall, we don't have time to read it all. Joseph is, they take him, they strip him of his robe and they throw him in a well. And they end up, they don't end up killing him. They end up selling him as a slave. And they lie to their father and they say that he was attacked and killed by wild animals. And Joseph is sold and becomes a slave. Potiphar's house. And over time and over the course of the story, it's an amazing story of God's redemption. He ends up becoming second in command in Egypt, earns his way up the ranks. And his brothers come, and in fact, just like his dream, they don't even recognize him. It's been so long since they've seen him. And they end up bowing down before him, just like the dream. But that's not the purpose of our story today. I want us to grasp this moment because it's really easy to read these kind of stories and think, well, I'm not killing anybody. So I'm good. I'm fine. And there's a measure of that that, that thankfully, I don't, think, I don't think any of you are doing that. So good job, okay? Check that box off, right? Feel really good today. But it doesn't mean that there isn't something happening here. And, and, and understand, we interpret other people as the source of our problem when it comes to jealousy. And while this is not in the Bible, this is Andy, this is Pastor Andy's opinion, which you were about to get right here. But I think it holds up. I think when people are jealous and resentful and bitter, many times it is directed at the person, and that person doesn't even know it half the time. That person also has no power or ability to change the situation or the circumstances. Your real issue is not with another person. Your real issue is with God. You see, a jealous and resentful and bitter heart is disappointed and frustrated that God who did this for them did not do this for me. And a God that could have is a God that should have. And this God did not do it. And yet I was asking, I've been good, I've been praying, and I, they got it, but I didn't. And while God doesn't show up, and we don't have this visible moment with God in a chair before us that we can deal and argue and be frustrated with and talk and, and, and hear and go back and forth. Your issue is with an invisible God who isn't moving in your life the way you think he should. My kids love, like they, they, when they're making their lunch or they're making their stuff before school, they have these big water bottles because Every child now has a 47-gallon water bottle that they take to school, apparently. And they go to the refrigerator and they fill it up with ice. Right? And clink, 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 clink. And then they fill it up with water. And it's always to the top. Right? And then it's, it's this over to the counter where they can screw the thing on. But they, they don't ever make it to the counter without water spilling all over the place. Because what's inside, filled up, is going to come out. And it doesn't take much. It takes just a little bit of brushing up against it. Water coming down the side. 
And that's how jealousy works. We're so filled up with comparison and evaluating and looking at, at what everybody else has and who they are, right? That it takes just a, a, just a little bit of nudging and it's spilling out the sides. So what do we do about it? I'm so glad that you asked. Because we can, in fact, be free. And maybe even a better way to say it is that there are things that we can do to strengthen our hearts because jealousy is going to come knocking. I am not giving you a recipe for you to never feel jealousy. In fact, jealousy is an emotion. It's a God-given emotion, just like anger is an emotion. It's what you do with it that ultimately matters. In the same way, think about this. Were Joseph's brothers wrong for feeling pain that their father loved their younger brother more than them? Was that wrong for them to feel that? Was it long for them to feel threatened by Joseph? I would actually say no. It's not wrong that the emotion was there. It's wrong that what they, what they did with it and what they allowed to turn into it and birth and become. That's where things go, come off the rails. It's not wrong to feel things any more than if I take a hammer and I'm trying to hammer something and I hit my finger. You know how I'm going to feel? Mad and in pain and maybe... Even though I'm a pastor, could something accidentally come out of my mouth? No. It could not. It could not happen. <laughs> it's impossible. The story continues in verse 23. I'm not going to read all of it for you. Joseph's brothers, they took the pain that was in their heart and they took it out on him. And we do the same thing. And even though I don't believe any of you are plotting the death of a brother or a sister or a friend, all of us know what it's like for a relationship to begin dying because of jealousy and bitterness and resentment. And so the solution in this moment, we've already even begun talking about it a little bit during worship, is to take your eyes off of your situation for just a moment. I love the image that Gerald mentioned about a plane flying at about 24,000 feet, right? Your problem when you're in the thick of it looks enormous. But it's amazing what happens when you get above that thing and you look down on it with a godly perspective. That thing that's so big and in front of you, you are able to pull it out and get a little bit of, of biblical perspective that it's not nearly oftentimes as big a deal as we think that it is. But more importantly even than that, it's to fix our eyes on God. It's to take a step back or a couple steps back. Yes, for perspective. But even more so, there is, a, there is an, an eyes being raised to God 
afresh. When I feel jealous and when I feel resentful or when I feel bitter, you know what's actually happening? I already told you that I believe the issue is between God and you far more than it is between you and another person. And what's at work in that moment is me distrusting who God is to provide for me. I'm distrusting His very nature. This God that has promised to be faithful Is he actually going to be faithful? Can I actually trust him to be my God? To be my king? Is my king really and truly a good king who knows how to care for his people? And can I trust him even when he's doing something in somebody else's life that's different than mine. What if God is bringing that person tremendous success and I never taste it? Can I still trust that God is good? And can I still trust that He is faithful? Psalm 139 says it like this. David writes, Thank you, Lord, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Another translation, the NIV says, I praise you, Lord, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. In other words, the God who is intimately acquainted with the details of my life, can like he formed me, he shaped me, he's made me, he loves me, he sent his son Jesus Christ for me. Can I really trust him to be who he says he is. Can I really trust him? I want to encourage you today, and I believe that this is true. If it's important to you, it's important to God. Because you're important to God. And it doesn't mean that all your motives are right. It doesn't mean all the things you're thinking about are right. But understand this, that somewhere, if, if the things that are important to you, well, that's important to God. And He may reshape that. He may redirect that. He may, be, he may be working, right? And it may take some time, right, to get things aligned properly for you. But if it's important to you, it's important to God. Do you know why? Because you're important to God. When my kids come to me with something on their heart, there are certainly times where I'm like, they have no idea how small this thing really is or how inconsequential this thing really is. But you know what? As their father who is working to be a good father, when my son or daughter comes and says, Dad, I'm dealing with this or I'm thinking about this or I'm bothered by this, you know what? It matters to me because I've got sons and daughters and what matters to them matters to me because that's what a good father does. Your heavenly father knows the amount of hairs that are on your head. He knows your circumstances. He knows your situation. There's nothing that escapes him. 
Nothing. Will you trust him to be your father in this moment? The one who cares for you. Or will you fix your eyes on the things of this world, in the situations, and everybody else's stuff, and everybody else's marriage, and kids, and money, and house, and car, and success? Or can you hold it with an open hand? Like Peter says, to give all your worries and cares to him. Why? Because he cares for you. So can you give it all to him today? Stand to your feet.